0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, good morning. Yeah, I was listening to that song as we were singing and um, I didn't feel a lot of life in it. There is there power in the name of Jesus, that last song that we sang. Do you really feel that way? Are we just singing the words... Or do we really believe there is power when we say that name? There's not power when you say the name of Buddha. I don't care what the world says. There's not power when you say the name Muhammad. But there is power in one name. And it's Jesus. And he is the King of Kings. And he is the Lord of Lords. I don't know what you walked in here with today. I don't know if you have any issues at home. I don't know if you have issues with your finances, with your kids. But I'm here to tell you he's the bondage breaker. He is the chain breaker and he's still changing lives. So I'm glad you're here and I pray right now, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be heavy in this place. We invite you into this room. Yeah, Lord, I know your spirit is everywhere, but Lord, I'm asking that we feel it, that it's palpable, Father. Lord, I ask that we would leave and be a people that are strong and courageous, as you told Joshua you told him, don't be afraid nor dismayed because the Lord God, you were with him. Lord, you are with us when we leave this place here today. An enemy you can try with your tactics and all of your darts. The Lord has made us the head and not the tail. Satan, you cannot have your way in our lives. You cannot distract us. You cannot take us out. You will not take out our kids. We are putting our foot in the ground today and saying, Jesus, there is power in your name to change our lives. How many of us in here, are you sick of just being distracted? How many of you are sick and sick of being distracted? How many of you want more focus in your life? How many of you, you really would like more focus? Because we live in a world, right? There are distractions everywhere. Well, that's what my message is about. We're not starting a new series. I'm thinking about actually praying about it, just kind of coming out. I'm thinking about doing a series, my next series on the book of Joshua, which will be at some point um, in the coming weeks. But not this morning, About a few weeks to just kind of sit and just try to hear what God was saying uh, as for a message you know, to us today. And you see the title up there. It's just a story about dirt. Right. You like that? it's, that's the title of my message today. How many of you want to get your hands dirty today? You ready to get your hands dirty? Right. You ready to put your hands in the dirt? Yeah, maybe twenty five percent. That's what I figured. Right. Well, let's get our hands dirty and start out. I don't know how many of you knew this, but uh, Europeans in the Middle Ages, they had some really uh, barbaric and sadistic forms of torture. Barbaric. I mean, but brilliant. Let me say, but brilliant. I mean, it's not only today. I mean, you know, they they torture us today with with soccer. Um, um, Should I not say that? A zero-zero game. You watch soccer and it's like, that was an amazing game. How many goals were scored? Zero goals. But it was a great game. Right? No, I'm, I do love soccer. Don't don't come up to me afterwards and say I can't believe you don't like. It is a great sport. It's not football, but American football, but it is a great sport in any way. Right? They used to have these ingenious forms of torture, and there was one in particular that I would like to show you. Here's an artist's rendering of it. It's kind of small. Maybe you can't really see it that well. Yeah, you should feel a little bit uncomfortable. They would take the person. Right? They would have four horses. Right, they would, you know, all the, every limb, they would take one horse, arm here, one horse on the other arm, legs, right? And then the horses would go in different directions. Yeah, that feels really good, right? Thinking about that? But here's what is really interesting. The French had a name for this. And the French called it distraction. The French name for the, you can look it up, the French name for this form of torture was called distraction, going in all different directions right i'm a pretty focused person i can focus on one task i mean i'm got babe i didn't tell you this you really look pretty this morning i forgot to tell you that by the way right i can sit up here and i can talk even as a oh you feel embarrassed now i'm your husband i'm allowed to say that i'm the only guy that's allowed to come up to you deliver a sermon and say I, you right that's right yeah i'm allowed to Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Just made a deposit in the uh, love bank account, right? <laughs> but we are so distracted. How about this? A lot of research on this as I was pouring over research. Uh, in 2000, the average attention span, get this. And you, you can't really make this up. It was 12 seconds average, right? 2015, it dropped to 8.25 seconds. All right, that's a 25% decrease in only what 16, you know, 15 years here and it's going down. We live in a world of distractions and we live in a world where, right, everything, the whole universe is in the palm of our hand. Got the whole world on my iPhone. I got the whole world. That's what we should be telling our kids because that's what we have, right? And we think that we're so smart and we have everything, but we're so distracted. How about this? This is another one, a study from the 1970s. And you can swear this was this was done today. There a lot of research talking about they started in the 70s, finding out how our brain works. And they said the information that we get, it comes at a cost and the information that we get comes at a cost. You know what that cost is? Attention, attention. We are at a time where we have a wealth of information. A wealth of information, but a poverty of attention. Does that make sense? Come on, that's the world. We have so much around us, so many things, and we think that we're so smart, but it's so hard for us to really pay attention because we're pulled, like this picture, in so many different directions. Economist Jeremy Rifkin, I thought this was well said. He said, despite our alleged efficiency... We seem to have less time for ourselves and far less time for each other. We have quickened the pace of life only to become less patient. That's definitely me. We have become more organized but less spontaneous, less joyful. We are better prepared to act on the future but less able to enjoy the present and reflect on the past. Today we have surrounded ourselves with time-saving technology only to be overwhelmed by plans that cannot be carried out, appointments that cannot be honored, schedules that cannot be fulfilled, and deadlines that cannot be met. This is the world in which we live. 2016. America. Another study. Can I give you one more? I mean, I have a lot more. I was like trying to win all this down. As I was like, what can I use? And what should I just throw out? In another study on how Americans use their time. Researchers learned the average American adult. Tends to watch TV. Four times longer than socializing and communicating. And get this. 20 times longer than engaging in spiritual and religious activities. That's not even adding in how much time we spend on the internet, the wasteland that is the internet. Come on, that's a lot of time. How distracted we can be. We'd rather spend our time with a remote in our hand in front of a TV set following somebody else's life because our life is too boring. That's what that says. It's crazy. There I was this summer, if I can be totally honest, at the beginning of the summer. And one of the challenges as a teacher is, in having both jobs and being a preacher and then being a history teacher in a school, both worlds. And they collide. And then when the summer comes, you know, I'm off. I wasn't feeling too well for a while in the beginning of the summer, right? And there I was. I caught myself. I was sitting there like the kids were out doing things and I actually had some downtime. And instead of, I love to read, I'm a voracious reader. You know that I've talked about it, always putting quotes up, whatever. But there I was and I sat in front of the TV set and I had the remote in my hand and I was just binge watching TV shows. And it got and you can laugh, none of you can relate to that. And there I was though at the, like at the end of one of these series and I said to myself, I spent like three days and I watched a whole series and all this stuff that happened, I'm like, this is so meaningless. Why did I just spend all of these hours of my life getting so caught up in a plot that is fake? It's a fantasy world. And we talk about soap operas. The show I was watching is no different than a soap opera. I said, you're pathetic. Started to talk to myself. Waste. Distractions. They're everywhere. They're all around us. The Bible says, listen, friends, the Bible says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, right? He doesn't destroy us at gunpoint. The enemy is not coming in with the gun. He's not going into your house and saying, you need to sit down and watch TV. You need to be distracted this way and that way. No, 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 no. It's insidious. It's so sneaky. He doesn't care. Listen, he, it's not about us committing all these terrible, you know, sins. If he can just keep us distracted and have us settle for less than God has for us or wants for our lives, if he can move us off of the path and the destiny that God has for each and every one of us, he is successful. That's what C.S. Lewis's the screw tape letters are. Just keep them busy. Keep everybody busy and everything will be all right. Let them go to church. That's okay. But when they leave, just come on, just give them something else to get preoccupied with. When they're at home, tell them to just have them turn the TV. So, oh, they can watch a show. They're tired. They've earned this. Oh, you know what? You can read the Bible some other day. You can spend time with your kids later on. Don't worry about it. You're really tired. Don't get up early in the morning and pray. Don't do all these things. distractions, distractions. Distractions. Philosopher, theologian who just passed a couple of years ago, Dallas Willard, you know one of my favorites. Look what he—I mean, this is just amazing. For most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith; it is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. That's why I'm so burdened this morning. Because I feel like this is us and this is much of Christendom. This is much of Christianity, especially here in the States. We're settling for a level of mediocrity. We're settling for just, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll come to church once in a bloom and maybe I'll read my Bible. I got my kids here. Come on, man. Don't put any more pressure on me. You already, you're already you talking about all the stuff that we have going on and how busy life is. This is a danger for us. That we'd settle for mediocrity in our lives. God has so much more. But yet we continue to settle. And listen to me. Not all of the distractions are bad. There are good distractions. It's trying to figure out. We can't let the urgent, right? The urgent things in our lives take the place of of, of the important things. Does that make sense? We can't look at things... Oswald Chambers said it right and Tom and I have said this numerous times, but it bears repeating The good is the enemy of the best. Did you hear me? The good is the enemy of the best And we have a plethora of options and things that we can be doing Can I give you an example being in, in the mind of one of your pastors just even this past week? Well, there I was I get home from work play with the kids for a little while, dinner, setting stuff up. Megan's got to go out. There I am. And I'm like, I try to sneak away after that. I try to get a little time to think about. I do have a sermon to preach on Sunday. And there's some stuff that I didn't finish at work, some thoughts that I had. I wanted to get them down on paper. wanted to look at some stuff. I try to go outside. I can't go outside because once I go outside, Jameson comes outside and he wants to talk to me and he wants me to watch Angry Birds. If I have to watch Angry Birds on the iPad one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. You may have your own shows as, as parents, right? And next thing you know, I have my phone. I should have left my phone inside, but I didn't. And somebody's calling me and it's somebody that's pretty important and it's something to do with church, right? I shoot Jameson, get back inside, go inside, right? I'll be inside in a little bit. I'm on the phone with the person, right? And I start talking. You know how you're on the phone with somebody from church? Yeah, everything's good. Everything's great. Yeah, God is good. God is good. And then here he comes back outside again, right? And you know when you're like, I'm like, yep, yep, God is good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Amen to that. Right? So I'm playing this whole game and here I am. I'm sitting there and I'm so distracted. Why can't, why didn't life come, you know, God, why didn't life come with like a, a do not disturb button that we could just walk around with, right? And I could just hit my head, right? do not disturb how come my kids don't have do not disturb signs like my iphone that i can just kind of slide right do not disturb nolan do not disturb jameson parents of some of you look at i'm the only parent in here that would like occasionally to have a do not disturb sign go watch angry birds by yourself the other one's wrecking stuff in the go wreck it ralph in the basement go ahead have fun daddy needs to prepare a sermon. Daddy has work to do. Oh, I feel so good that I got that out. Oh my gosh. Ah, oh, give me a second. Okay. The sermon can go on, but really, How many of you feel that way? You just pulled in so many directions and a lot of times they're good. They're again, they're good things. Aren't you glad that Jesus, when he came and during his three-year earthly ministry, aren't you glad he talked about distractions? Maybe you didn't know he talked about distractions. Well, he did. All right. And that's what we're going to look at. And that's where we're going to get our hands dirty this morning. And let me start off. You have your Bibles. We'll be in Matthew's gospel. You could also find this in Mark. I purposely picked uh, Matthew's gospel because we've been in Mark's gospel for a long period of time. I kind of did the beginning of the series. Tom kind of did the second half of the series. And now uh, he finished up last week, but this is a, a, and it's so interesting on many levels. This is so deep and it's so rich and I can't explore everything in this parable that Jesus will talk about. And many of you have heard this a thousand times. I'll try to draw some things out. Maybe you haven't heard, uh, and we'll see where it goes on the same day. Now I underline that. All right, we'll get back to that in a second. Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, I'm underlining that before we get into the parable of the sower and the seed. I want us to look and understand something happened in the previous chapter. You know, when you read something and you discover, I'm not, you know, something happened and because and this happened. Blah, blah, blah. What happened on that day? There is something that has already happened. Can we go back to chapter 12? You can just look at it on the screens here before we go ahead. You need, it's important. It's imperative that we see this while he was still talking about Jesus talking to the multitude. So this is the end of chapter 12. Behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Don't you find this interesting? Let's you have to see Jesus when he walked the face of the earth, and especially during his earthly ministry, you had his enemies, his detractors that were always coming after him, right? His enemies are always coming after him. But I want you to see here, even those that were close to him, he, he was resolute. His eyes were fixed toward Jerusalem. Even family and friends couldn't get in the way of his mission. He had a singular mission in mind. And even those that were so close to him, I can't do that. Now, teenagers, how many teenagers do I have in the room here this morning or young adults? You do not try this with your mother at home when your mother says, honey, can you come here for a second? I need you. Honey, can you go clean your room? And you say, oh, I'm sorry. Um, it is the will of God for me to go spend time on my own and go study or pray. That is your mother, right? Who changed your diapers when you were young. I would not try that. That will not go over too well. And all the ladies in the house were clapping. At least a couple were. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that that wouldn't go over too well. But. So that's what we see here. Now let's get back to the action. Can we get to the parable? So you see this. He won't be distracted, right? Now moving forward in the 13th chapter, all right? Verse three, that he spoke many things to them in parables. I got to stop. I wasn't going to do, I have to. Can I give you a little bit, All right. This is a turning point in Matthew's gospel. I love to set the context. I love to get into the history behind it. When you see this in chapter 13, this is a turning point. Why is this a turning point? It's a turning point because he's changing arenas. Where Jesus was always in the synagogues, right? And he started his earthly ministries in the synagogues and he's healing people. And then you have the scribes and the Pharisees. And they start going after him and they they, they are accusing him, right? It gets so bad. Jesus is now, it's a turning point. He's leaving the synagogues and he's moving outside and he's using parables and he's telling stories. You see that? It's amazing. This is, if you study, any commentator will tell you this is a huge turning point in the whole book of Matthew. His ministry is changing and now he's outside. And there are thr- there have been throngs of people, but now it's changed. It's a little bit different and it goes deeper than that. But I just had to say that to you. Okay. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here he is, right? And you also have to see, it's important to note, why is he starting to use the parables? Because everybody is coming to him. The crowds are coming because they want something from Jesus. They care about deeds. They they care about what can you heal me of my disease? Jesus is a means to an end. Do we see this? Jesus is a means to an end. So the people don't really want him. They want what they can get from him. So Jesus says, I'm going to start to speak in parables. I'm going to use metaphors. I'm, he lived in an agrarian society. I'm going to look around. I'm going to talk about farmers. I'm going to talk about treasure that's hidden. And he uses all of these stories to explain what the kingdom of God was. With me? Okay. Now he does this and this is a big turning point and he's using these parables and you see this story though and I know some of you are going I've heard I've looked at this story a thousand times. Can I can I uh, eradicate the picture that many of us probably have of what the garden a garden would be like in Jesus's day? Now I don't have a green thumb like Pastor Joe. He didn't give that to me, right? He has a green thumb. I don't have one. I just have a white thumb, okay? All right? I'm not a big planter. I'm not a gardener. Some of you are. But I think we get the picture that here he is, right? There's a guy, a farmer, and he's, he's got his little bag of burpee seeds, right? How many of you know burpee seeds? Yeah, right? You're impressed that I knew that. And they, they t- he, there he is, and he takes his burpee seeds and neatly, right? There he goes. He takes the seeds and he has his little shovel and here he is. This is the parable, right? This is what we see. And he puts this, oh, the nice little seed and the nice little seed and he puts the seeds in a perfect row, right? And then he goes from that row and then he goes over here and he puts more seeds in the ground, right? That's the picture. And then he waters it a little bit and then he puts like Pastor Joe does, he puts gallons of miracle grow. If you want to see plants that light up in the middle of the night, you come to our house, right? Because of the miracle grow. Yeah. Oh, my God. A lot of miracle grow, right? You weed it. You keep the snails and stuff away. All right. Much different picture um, than what was really going on. And what they would do was a farmer would basically they would literally just take seed and they would throw it to the wind. The wind would take it, and wherever it went, it went. And it would get scattered all over the place. All right? you with me? So the farmer takes the seed, throws it everywhere, and in ancient Palestine, the fields were long and narrow, so they had like narrow strips. And if they were actually, if they were really lazy, they would take the seed and throw If they were really lazy, they would get a donkey. This is what I would have done if I was living back then. You get a donkey, and you get a bag of seed. You cut a little hole in the seed, you attach it to the back of the donkey, and you... Come on, donkey, let's go! Drag the donkey, and you get the seed moving ahead, right? That's what you could do. Now, interesting to note here, too, when Jesus is talking about some of the seed fell along the path. Look in the beginning, right? Look in the beginning. Some seed by the wayside, on the path there. You have to understand, since they had these long, narrow strips where they would actually pl- right throw the seed, and where things would grow... Right next to those narrow strips would be like a, a path for people to actually walk down. So you had to have it. It would be a right of way. So ne- right next to it, there'd be a path that people could walk. People trampled and walked on those paths every single day, all day. So in the first part here, as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. What Jesus is basically saying to anyone, you wouldn't have got this. But now you get it. You're throwing seeds. You might as well take seed and just throw it on concrete on the road. Because it's so hard, there's no way for the seed to actually penetrate. Right? So for every part of this parable, it's interesting because he's taken what is actually there. And he says, Some people, you know, some people are like the seed on the path, the seed gets the seed gets snatched up. All right. The second type of soil, they spring up, the, the seed is there, they spring up quickly, people get excited, maybe people get baptized, maybe people lift their hands in worship, right? But eventually. It's stolen. It's taken. And then you have the third type of soil. What happens? All right? People, the, the, the word gets choked by the weeds. Can, can I put this before you? I didn't come up with this. Charles Spurgeon did. And well, a commentary on this. If you don't know who Spurgeon is, one of the greatest preachers, um, English preacher, one of my favorites. You know what Spurgeon said? Now, this is going to this is this is a bomb. All right. Had to give you the sound effects in case you were sleeping. Here's the bar. I've always heard this parable as, this is four different types of people. The first person, right? You don't want to be that person. Number two, you don't want to be that person. Number three, you don't want to be that person. But you are hoping and silently believing that you are the fourth person. 30, 60, 100 fold, what a return, what an investment, right? That's what we secretly hope. Isn't that what we secretly hope? You read that parable every time. And you go, I'm not the first one. I'm not the second one. I'm not there. I'm the fourth one. I'm good ground, right? No, you never did. Okay. So I always read it. But what if this is describing, and Spurgeon said this, and I was like, it, it, it made sense to me. It resonated with me. What if Jesus is describing the four conditions of our hearts at any given time? Let me say it again. What if Jesus is describing the condition of our hearts at any given time? What do you mean, Pastor? I'll tell you what I mean. At 9 o'clock in the morning sometimes, I'm good ground. By 12 o'clock, I can get rocky. By 3 o'clock, I'm... Getting choked by weeds. I'm a pastor. I do this for a living. How about you? Have, can you, Has anybody experienced that before? Can I get an amen that you get this? That's what I think this parable is really about. Stop looking at it and going, well, it's four people. I just don't want to be those people. No. At different times, that's where our heart is. And it can be, in fact, in the same exact day. Crazy. Chucky e. Spurgeon killing it. When you've known him as long as I have, you do get to call him Chucky. <laughs> snatched. Can we start? Can I go through now? Can you just give me a little bit of time to have some fun here? I love not to be religious. I wish I could be like the people on TV and they just speak and they have their whole message and they just... I can't do it. I, try, I just can't do it. Good? Okay. Thank you. All right. First one where it says the seed gets snatched. Can we look at that? Have you ever had anything that was snatched from your life. Have you ever had anything that got snatched? You know, I'm getting to the point, I'm only 43 years old, and I'm getting to the point where it's taking longer. From the time something, like a thought, hits my brain to the time I need to even act upon it, like something is lost. I'm on my iPhone, right? And I write a lot of notes. I'll take sermon notes. I could be listening to a podcast. I could be listening to something. It could be anything, right? I don't listen to music a lot. I usually, like, I want to learn something. I'm listening, right? Right? And I'm listening to something and I I, I write down in my notes, Moses, something with Moses and then auto spell. Thank you, auto spell. I appreciate it. Changes it to milk. And then there is milk. And then I think to myself, man, you know what? You do need more almond milk for school. So when are you going to go to the store and get the almond milk? Anybody in here? Can you relate to actually losing a thought as it hits your brain and how hard it is and it gets snatched out of our lives? In this past week, seed was scattered everywhere. Seed was scattered in all of our lives and opportunities were given, responsibilities were assigned, moments were created, we could engage with people, and what happened? We lost so much, so many moments and seed was planted, and the seed was there. But you know what we do? We look at seed and think it is so insignificant. Wait till I get to the end of the sermon. We think seed, oh, it's so insignificant. It's one little moment. And we lose out on the power of the moment, that what God wants to do in that moment, and we don't have eyes to see because we're so distracted, and we're so busy with everything. And I said to you, I can give you example after example, but how about this? I was thinking this too. How, How many of us, we have kids, right? Dinner gets snatched. How come we'll sit at the dinner table and we'll sit there with our thumbs and we won't be looking at each other sometimes and we're reading about what our friend in high school, Susie, ate for lunch today when our kids are sitting right at the table and we're not spending time and actually being present with them. Or we're so concerned about what somebody else did and we're on whatever, Instagram, whatever it is, and we don't even know where our kids are. Can we be real? Things get snatched time and time again. We should be sitting down having a family dinner, whatever, and it gets snatched. You know what got snatched in my life this past week? I got up an hour early. I was up at 3.30. I didn't want to be up at 3.30. I wanted to be up at 4.30, right? I went to bed a little bit later, but I was up at 3.30 and my phone was right next to my bed. And you know what I did? I pulled the phone out, I said, you know what, I should go downstairs, I can get a little more extra private time, and get some reading in, and just meditate, and whatever, no, I pulled my phone out, and I went on Facebook, and I checked stuff out there, because I posted something, I run a sociology group now for teachers across the country, I'm with this other person, and I, you didn't even know I run it, don't get mad at me that I do that, I know you're going to go, really, you need another thing on your plate, I get it, because that's what you were thinking, right, amazing, right, I knew what she was thinking, I'm checking that out. I'm not done yet. I have to check how my fantasy football team did, because that's really important, right? Doing that. Then I'm checking CNN. What else is going on in the world? I'm on ESPN. Before I know it, I lost a half an hour of time. It got snatched. And I went downstairs and said, what did you just do with the half an hour of time that you had? It got snatched. Megan and I love to watch documentaries. But you know what the problem is? You know, when things get snatched, we'll sit there and watch the coming attractions for 20 documentaries, and we don't even watch one of them. Date night gets snatched whenever we have it. Come on, how many of you are with me? You do that. Some of you are looking like sanctimonious, like you just like, like you have it all together today, some of you. You pray for me then, all right? (laughs) Just technology, it makes our lives insignificantly efficient, insignificantly efficient. Really does. When you think about it, right? How about even look what gets snatched when we leave church here today? You leave church here today. Somebody's going to cut you off. I didn't set it up. Listen, don't email me, text me, call me, see me next week. How did you know I was going to get cut off? Because I know somebody's going to cut you off, right? And you're going to get upset and you're going to want to give them half of the peace on. You're not going to do it, but you're going to get mad and some of you, wow, way over your heads. You're going to get so upset and so angry what you just heard in here got snatched. The devil wouldn't know what to do, friends, if you actually left the church meeting and you actually talked about whatever the sermon was on. Instead of going, where are we going to eat? What do you want to eat today? You want to go to Applebee's? Yeah, that's good, right? It's like... I'm not saying go to a monastery. I'm not saying go be a monk. All I'm saying to you is, what if we actually ask the question, Satan and all his minions wouldn't know what to do. Wait a second. There are people down there at City on a Hill Community Church. They left their church meeting and they're actually talking about the message. They're actually talking about God, what God spoke to them about in the meeting. Really? Why don't you try that? <laughs> Don't listen. I'm, I'm the speaker today. Try it another week. When I'm the, I don't care. Just do it. Do it. And see what happens. Things get snatched out of our lives. How about number two? Scorched. Snatched. Scorched. Death by distraction. The second soil that he talks about. And it's too, it's too shallow. This kind of ground, they had a thin layer of, of earth, right? What he's referring to would be a thin layer of earth that was on top of a, you know, limestone, you know, shelf, right? So there's nothing there and there's no, the the, the, the parable Jesus tells us, there is no root that is there. And what does that mean really in essence for us? I think in essence, it means that we're, it, it, things are superficial. How many of us know our lives can be so superficial, we can have a conversation. I, the iPhone's getting a lot of love today. I can pull my phone out and I can text somebody. And we can be talking for a long time and we talk about nothing. LOL emoticon. LOL emoticon. That was really funny. Or emo- whatever it is. I don't know. Whatever you call it. Okay? But isn't that what we do? We have conversations about nothing. We, oh, this looks really... Let me send this. This looks really funny. Superficiality. Superficial. There's no Root. No commitment. Isn't that what root represents? Doesn't root represent commitment? Where are we in terms of being committed? Can I just use an example from the real world? How about, you've wanted to lose weight for a long time. You've wanted to, ex. what? Why are you, some of you, that's where I'm going. That's my example. You're going to listen to it, right? (laughs) Just pretend there is somebody out there that wants to exercise, all right? Nobody in here, but pretend somebody outside of these doors, they want to just take it easy. <laughs> She's giving me this. No, I'm going there. I'm not going to say anything crazy. Let's be real. Let's be honest. I've, I've done this before, right? Well, gluten-free things, okay? But here we go, right? It's You're at the office, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's I don't know, Joe's birthday party, right? You don't even know Joe. Joe is in another department. You never met Joe. But it's Joe's birthday. And there's birthday cake. Happy birthday to Joe. And you're going to eat the birthday cake. Right? Or you go, to, you start going to the gym. Maybe you go to the gym for a little while. And then at home, you stub your toe on the bed. You're on the DL for five months. <laughs> Get off of the DL. Get back to the gym right? That wasn't so bad. That was, that's it. That's it. It wasn't so bad. Think about it. Really? Think about it. But I could have very well, and I did this on purpose. I could have very well just talked about church commitment. How many of us, and and you're here this morning, so I'm commending you that you're here, but how many of us maybe started out and we signed up in a small group, right? A Hill house. And then as time went on, you just said, you know what? I'm just too busy. I'm so distracted. And then we lose out on that connection with each other. And we lose out what we were really created for. And the enemy snatches things and he scorches things and we lose out. Can I tell you, as a pastor's kid growing up in the church, how many people I've seen that have been taken out of the race? Not out of our church. Because I just want, if you leave here, I just want you to follow Christ somewhere. But how many people have been taken out and they started real strong and then everything fizzled out? Friends, this is a marathon. It's a marathon. We have to have the Navy SEAL mentality. There it is. Didn't plan on, but it has to come into a sermon once in a while. We need to have a Navy SEAL mentality that nothing is going to stop us from what is real and what is important. The problem is we don't know how to prioritize and one thing is just as good as the next. And we're like that guy in the first picture being pulled everywhere. This is my life. You know how hard this is to preach? Because I know, again, not to put her on the spot. I know my wife is going, this is classic James. It is me. I'm one of the most distracted. Good luck. And my parents say it all the time. You are the hardest person to nail down. Because I'm multitasking. No, it is. <laughs> he said it. You know what I read this week and it kind of scared me, Pastor Joe. I read this week that when we multitask, our brains actually leak because we have to go from channel to channel. I'm done. That's all I needed to hear. My brain's leaking when I'm multitasking. (laughs) I'm being facetious because when I was at the gym this morning, I'm working out. I'm listening to music and I'm going over my sermon notes. I'm the multitasking king. And it's not good. And you ladies in here, don't you judge me. Because some of you think like, we're good. I'm good. I am good. I can do this and I can do that at home and the kids and that. You, you, you're with me. Come on. Okay. Misery loves company. All right. And then in verse 22, what does it say? It says, the word gets choked. The word gets choked by the worries of this life. Can I say, can I tell you what it doesn't say? I want you to notice. It does not say the responsibilities of life. Please get this. It does not say the responsibilities of life. Right? What does that mean? That means we can get so distracted by not by things that are actually happening in our lives. We get distracted by things that might happen in our lives. And what the enemy is good at, and the enemy can sit on the sidelines, the enemy just kind of looks and says, I'm just going to leave that person in fear and bondage about what might happen. Have you ever sat down and looked at all the things that you were afraid of, and you said, what if this happens, and what if that happens, and what if I lose my house, and what if I lose my job? I would say to you, 90 to 95% of the things that we worry about never even happen to us. He wants to keep us in fear. He wants to keep us so anxious that we can't even focus on what is real and important and prioritized. We get choked time and time again. The weeds choke us and we can't understand and really interpret what's going on. So the devil, he's good about distracting. He's very good at it. Now, let me jump ahead. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm not finishing that parable. You're like, get to the fourth part. Just you get, yeah, you got the first, get to the fourth part. It's the best part. No, I'm not going there yet. Okay. He gives another parable after this. It's very short. Can we look at it quickly? If you look in, in, uh, oops, oops, oops. Here we go. In verse 24, if you jump down, look at this. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. You couldn't tell the difference until harvest time. Tares and the wheat, you couldn't tell. They looked exactly the same. Until the harvest was actually there, then you would have known and you could see the difference. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? he said to them an enemy has done this The servant said to him. Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said no lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them Let both grow together until the harvest and at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them But gather the wheat into my barn and I bring this up friends because listen God has a destiny for every single one of us and the enemy is trying to take that away and he's trying to tell us that our lives are meaningless and that we don't have a purpose and we don't have a destiny. I would say to you when Jesus says this parable, our destiny is in the midst of distractions everywhere. The tears are all around and what the enemy wants us to do is get so caught up with the distractions there with the tears that we miss our purpose. And he's quite good at it. Gordon MacDonald has a story. I don't know how many of you know the name Gordon MacDonald. He has a story in one of his books. He talks about in the ancient world, the king of Siam, like Southeast Asia. What the king would do, and this is brilliant. If he had an enemy, you know what he'd do with the enemy? He would send the enemy an albino white elephant. Now you go, that doesn't mean anything to me. In Southeast Asia, these white elephants are venerated. Right, they're revered. Here's a picture of one, Right, even today. So what the king would do is, the king would send this white elephant to his enemy. And since it was so sacred in the ancient world, guess what? The enemy had to take the elephant and care for it. And expend time, energy, resources, you name it, into taking care of that elephant. Until one day, that enemy was so taken out of the picture because of the elephant that it had to take care of. The king knew, I will distract my enemy with this. The enemy is here today to distract us. The enemy is here. And you may go, I don't have an enemy. Listen, just go read the Bible. Do I have to tell you there's an enemy? Just look at the world in which you live. Look at the political and racial strife. There is an enemy that is at play and he wants to take people out. He is looking to take you out. He's looking to take your family out. Any way he can. Distractions. Death by distraction. Death by distraction. All right. Can I give you the best part now? Can I give you the last part of the sermon? How about you give me six minutes? Can we do that? time is it? It's 11.16. I may take 10. No, I won't take 10. Maybe. Do you ever notice in here what's, what's kind of interesting? Jesus in the parable, the first parable. Can we go back to the first parable? You look at the first parable here, right? And he says there, you hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, that he talks about a seed, right? Do you notice that? A seed is so like weak. Isn't a seed like weak? How come he doesn't talk about fire, Like a flamethrower when the guy, he has a flamethrower or he has a sword or a hammer. You get a hammer, right? Something like that. How come when Jesus gives this parable of the sower, he's talking about a seed. He's talking about something that is so weak. Did you ever notice how paradoxical that really is when he characterizes the gospel as something like this and he's using this metaphor? And and because in some sense, paradox, a contradiction. So in some sense, we see here's a seed. In some sense, yeah, it's weak. But then in another sense, it's really strong. And I use nature since I'm, I'm talking about a parable today. I thought I would use something from nature. And here I am, I'm bearing acorns. Acorns. I just went on my driveway this morning. I picked up a couple of acorns. Let's talk about an acorn, right? Oh, geez. Okay. look. here's a little acorn. This acorn, right? Where did this acorn come from? Right? Came from a tree, right? It fell from a tree. This acorn, if we planted this acorn, right? What would happen? It would produce another tree. From that tree, other acorns would fall. We could, from this one acorn right here, this one little weak acorn, have thousands of acres of trees planted all over the place. Something that is so weak could yet be something that is so strong. Are you with me? Okay, now let me give you a little story. There was a British minister by the name of Dick Lucas. And he gave this story about in Italy, right? In Italy, there was this cemetery that people would flock to. And they would go to the cemetery because there was one man that was quite affluent, really wealthy guy, and he had this amazing grave. And everybody would come and look at it. And over his grave was a huge piece of, a slab of marble. Huge, really thick, really big. Why did people come to the cemetery to come see this huge slab and this guy's grave? I'll tell you why. Because at some point in time, an acorn fell and got underneath that slab rock centuries ago. And what happened is, the acorn went into the ground, and it started to grow slowly, right? You couldn't really see it. Imperceptible, but as time went on, it came out from the sides. As time went on, it split that slab of marble that was sitting over the grave. Yes, if I took this one little acorn, and I dropped it, right? On the slab, it would have done nothing. It's powerless. But when the acorn went in the ground and died, it bore much fruit. Jesus said in John 12, what did he say? What did he say? Come on. Unless, unless what? See, falls into the ground and dies. It bides alone. But if it dies, you better watch out because it's bringing forth much fruit. Jesus Christ, when he lived and he's coming to the cross, let's go to like Gethsemane. I don't know. I'm just going to go off my notes for the end here. And Jesus is coming to Gethsemane and he's there in the garden. And he's on his knees and he's literally sweating drops of blood, hematidrosis. That's the medical condition. He is there because the weight of the world and the sin of the world at that point in the Garden of Gethsemane is falling on him. And what does he say? He looks up to heaven and he says, Father, is there another way? Is there another way? Does, this, does it have to go down this way? Using our vernacular. And, and, and then he says, though, not my will, but thy will be done. He's starting right then the process of falling into the ground and dying for us. It happens then the paradox. Do you, you know how we can be changed? Do you want to have a a harvest in your life? Please. Most important part of the message. If we want to have a harvest in our lives, we have to see the beauty of Jesus's weakness. The weakness, no other religion talks about weakness. Everybody comes from strength. Jesus comes from weakness. He is killed. He is crushed. He is put into the ground. And there was the enemy and all of the enemy's minions. And they looked around and they rejoiced. And they said, this is it. We beat Jesus. We won. We won. We now sit on the throne. And one day passed. And he's in the ground. And two days pass, and he's in the ground. But I'm here to tell you the story of the gospel is a three-day story because on the third day, he came up from out of the ground. And because of that, he is the firstborn. He is the first fruits, And we now, because of that, you can give me an amen at some point. We are now part of that, and we're sons and daughters of what he did. I don't care this morning what kind of marble slab is over your heart. I don't care if it's a slab of addiction. I don't care if it's a slab of alienation. I don't care if it's a slab of fear. I don't care if it's a slab that you say, you don't know what I did in my past. I don't know. Tom said it last week. When the enemy talks about your past, you talk about his future. You are not here. You don't have to worry if there's a slab and you say, man, I've never been loved. I've never been accepted. I've always been left out. This power of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, death, burial and resurrection has the power to break the slab over your heart right now and today. There is power in the... I can't sing, but I'm singing right now. There is power in the name of Jesus. Come on, sing it with me. There is power... I know you're not used to this. Sing it. Get uncomfortable. Name of Jesus. To break every chain. To break every chain. Not some chains, but every chain. Whatever you walked in here with today, He has the power to break it. To break it right now. You don't have to leave with those chains around your ankles. You don't have to leave with those chains around your hands. You can be free. You can taste freedom right here and now. Because of what he did 2,000 years ago on a cross. He is not in the grave, friends, in case you didn't know it. And we're an Easter people. It's not in April or next March, whenever it is. that we're just going to celebrate the resurrection. You celebrate what he did today. You leave here today and know there is power in his name for your body. There is power for your finances. There is power over your kids. I don't care if you have a prodigal kid at home. There's power in Jesus' name as you pray today. As you leave this place. That they can come back. Lord, I'm calling back, Lord. All the wayward sons and daughters. Lord, I'm calling right now, Father. I'm beseeching you, Lord, that there would be a mighty wave, Lord, a mighty move of your spirit right now, Father. A mighty move. Father, we don't want the counterfeit. Lord, I don't want the counterfeit. We want the real thing, Lord. I want the real deal, the real McCoy in my life. I've seen so much of the counterfeit, Lord. I don't want tradition. Lord, I want to taste you and touch you and feel you and know you, Father. And Lord, I ask for everybody here in this room. Lord, may this be a day, Lord. May may your people want more of you. Father, may we see, Lord, the beauty in your weakness. Lord, not in your strength, Father. You confound the wise. You use the weak things, the foolish things of the world, Lord. Help us to see that, how much strength there is in this gospel for our lives. Lord, help us to stop just singing the songs. Get us on our knees and really believe, Lord, that's the battleground. Help us to pray, Father, to put a hedge of protection around our homes and our kids. Enemy, your days are done. You're finished. He's a good God. He's a good God. Aslan never said he was safe, right? C.S. never said he was safe. He's good. Trust him. If you are coming to the table this morning and you go, you know, I look at this parable, James, in so many days, I wouldn't say I'm good ground. Guess what? Join the club. So many people are getting choked out by the thorns. So many people are getting things snatched out of their lives. And the seed is getting scorched. It doesn't mean you stop. You keep going. That's why I love somebody like David. You know why I love David? Because David failed time and time again. I'm a sinner. Like Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. I can relate to that. I can understand that. But I know there's a forgiving God that loves me. I know there's a God in heaven that's not looking down on me and saying, Why didn't you pray today? Why didn't you study today? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? No, he came to give me freedom. And he came to give you freedom. That's what this table is. Freedom! When he's on the cross. Freedom! It's over! It's finished! You finished what you said you would start, Father! It's all done! That's why there's power in his name. Man, I'm excited for you. Because God has something for you. God has something for you in 2016 that maybe you didn't experience last year. This is the year of a bountiful harvest in your life. Can I speak that into your life? This is a year of a bountiful harvest. This is a year of excess. This is a year receiving. This is a year where God is going to pour out His Spirit on you. I don't talk like this all the time. I just feel to. I feel like this is what the Spirit's saying. This is a year. We don't have to be paralyzed in fear because of everything we see in the world. Right? Right? We walk around in fear and anxiety. We don't have to walk around that way. This is your year. This is your time. This is our time. Those people in the Bible, I love them.